you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Donald Trump told his voters they should vote once by mail and then go in person and vote for a second time. It happened in North Carolina, but that's not the only time. He did it again in Pennsylvania a day or two later. Now, according to North Carolina law, and I'm sure law in other states, that's illegal. Not only is voting twice illegal, but telling somebody they should vote twice is illegal too. Is Donald Trump going to face consequences for that? No, of course not. That being said, I've been looking at the election polls to try to get an idea of where we sit. The House of Representatives has an election every two years. Nobody is guaranteed to keep their seat past that amount of time. Right now, the House of Representatives is not controlled by Trump. It's majority Democrat. The Senate, on the other hand, is majority Republican. There are 45 Democrat senators in office right now, two independents, Bernie Sanders and Angus King from Maine, but they usually vote in caucus with the Democrats, and there are 53 Republican senators. Senators serve six-year terms, so they're up for re-election every three election cycles. This time around, there are more Republican senators up for re-election than Democrat. The House isn't really in danger of turning Republican right now. It'll most likely remain Democrat, although that isn't a guarantee. But the Senate is going to be an uphill battle. Basically, since there are a total of 100 senators, two from each state, in the event of a tie vote, the vice president is the tiebreaker. That means if Democrats want to get anything passed in the Senate, they need a total of 51 seats, assuming Mike Pence is the vice president again next year. So Democrats have to take four seats to be able to pass legislation. It just so happens that there are six Republican Senate seats that are considered toss-ups right now. None of the Democrat seats are in danger are being lost. So let's take a look at the races that Democrats need to fight for. We've got Montana, Colorado, Iowa, North Carolina, Maine, and Georgia. Recent polls say the Democrat in Colorado, North Carolina, and Maine have a really good chance. The Democrat is up 8.6 points in Colorado, 6.5 points in North Carolina, and 5.3 points in Maine. It's not a guaranteed victory, it's not a landslide, but it's a good sign for the Democrats. Now for the others. They basically have to win one of these three to get anything done for the next two years. The Republican in Montana has 2.2 points on their opponent. That one's going to be a serious uphill climb. The Democrat in Iowa has 1.5 points on their Republican opponent, but that's within the margin of error, which is usually about three points. It's considered a toss-up. And the last state, Georgia, is actually favored for the Republican right now, even though the Democrat is up two points. I'm guessing the analysts are saying it'll go to the Republican, even though the Democrat is up, because of voter suppression. Either way, if you're in one of those six states, whether you're voting for the president or not, you absolutely must vote for your senators and your House of Representatives members. I live in West Virginia, which is deep red territory, but I'll be voting anyways because it acts as something of a census. It tells politicians where they should focus their efforts if they know there's a significant blue presence in this district. So no matter what, no matter where you live, no matter how deep red your state is, you should go vote anyways so you can be counted in the next election. Conviction requires two-thirds, so that basically means we need to get 51 seats. That means we have to win four total seats that are considered toss-ups. Colorado, North Carolina, and Maine are looking good. They're looking good for Democrats. That means we need to get at least one of these three, Montana, Iowa, or Georgia. One of those three.
the most likely scenario right now, I think, is going to be Iowa. We're probably going to be able to take Iowa. It's more likely than Georgia or Montana, but it's something to keep in mind. Either way, if you're in one of those six states, go vote. It is extremely important. Impeachment probably isn't going to happen either way, no matter what, but the Senate does have power if it has a simple majority. So go vote. Jerry Falwell Jr. has been the hot topic of discussion lately. He was recently basically kicked out of Liberty University. He's no longer the president of the school his dad created. Well, Liberty University announced a thorough investigation into Falwell's behavior, stretching beyond his personal improprieties. According to Reuters, quote, he put his two sons and their wives as well on the university's payroll. He arranged the transfer of a multi-acre Liberty facility to his personal trainer. He enlisted a friend's construction company to manage an ambitious campus expansion, costing hundreds of millions of dollars. And before becoming school president, Falwell set up two companies that enabled him to cut property deals with one of the many nonprofit entities affiliated with the university, Reuters found. In each of the deals, Falwell played multiple roles with potentially conflicting interests. He was an officer of the university, a board member for the nonprofit selling the land, and a private developer who could profit from the transactions. It says he also warned Reuters not to question his two adult sons, both of whom still have jobs at Liberty. Trust me, Falwell said during the call, you do not want to mess with me, okay? Well then, turns out he's a scumbag. Who knew? This week on the podcast, speaking of Jerry Falwell Jr., Liberty University announced they'd be doing a thorough investigation into Falwell and his actions while he was president. Here's a quote from the Liberty U website. We are committed to learning the consequences that have flowed from a lack of spiritual stewardship by our former president. One of the leading forensic firms in the world has been retained by Liberty University's Board of Trustees to conduct a thorough investigation into all facets of Liberty University operations during Jerry Falwell Jr tenure as president, including but not limited to financial, real estate, and legal matters. It's possible this whole thing is just for show. Who knows? But we'll take a look at the full announcement. In 2018, Liberty University made a documentary about a man named Mark Taylor. They called him the firefighter prophet, quote-unquote. He claimed that God gave us the Donalds. While Mark Taylor, now a member of QAnon, big surprise, is back in the news. He claimed protesters are mind control victims and people with umbrellas are their handlers. He goes into great detail about how people use mind control to force people to take part in protests. Mind control sounds right up my alley. Do his claims hold merit? Glenn Beck, famous Mormon right-wing extremist and political propagandist, went on his show recently to talk about what changed his mind about Donald Trump. He hated the dude in 2016. He said all kinds of bad stuff about him. So what did it? Ultimately, the answer is the fact that his kids appear to love him. He says, quote, I felt so bad about what I said, how I said things in 2016, and I've been feeling this way for a couple of days during this convention, talking about the 2020 RNC. He said, I just feel like I need to apologize to his children. His children love him, and I don't believe, for example, that Ivanka is a psychopath. I think he said that back in 2016. How is it that Ivanka loves him, all of his children love him as much as they do, if Donald is a psychopath in real life? He's not. Or, or, bear with me, maybe they're playing a part to sucker people into believing that exact thing. And maybe, maybe you took the bait. I guess it's also possible Beck just became part of the Trump cult and decided to fall in line behind him like he's a fucking dictator. Either one. Before we take a look at all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, 
If you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, Owen, this is Patrick from Texas. Um, I wanted to know if you had any advice on starting a new atheism channel in 2020 or even just a channel that sometimes makes idiot content. I don't know if I really have that interesting of a new perspective. You know, I grew up Catholic, but um, I've recently come across your videos and become an atheist myself, and your videos have helped me a lot. And I was wondering, I've been thinking about starting a YouTube channel and maybe making some videos about atheism, and I was wondering if you have any advice on how to, you know, be successful with that in, you know, 2020 when a lot of people have already done it. Thanks, Owen. All right. So let me let me tell you, let me give you my take on this. Um, a lot of people have already done it. That's true. All of the arguments that are presented for atheism have already been said 50,000 times, right? But they weren't said to the people who are coming out of Christianity right now. Right now, it's a Saturday at the moment that this is airing publicly, nine o'clock at night. There is somebody in the U.S. who just laid down after hugging their kid and saying goodnight. They laid down in their bed next to their wife and realized they don't believe any of this shit. And there's nothing they can do. They can't come out and say that. They have to pretend to be somebody that they aren't or they will lose everything. Right now at this moment, there is somebody sneaking around behind their parents' backs or their spouse's back to watch this video, this podcast that you're listening to. Somebody is sneaking to listen to this because they are trapped in a situation where they don't believe any of this and they can't tell anybody about it. Those arguments have been made a lot in the past. All of the arguments for atheism and, or against Christianity or Islam or whatever, they've all been made in the past, but they haven't been made to people like that, people who are coming out right now. And 10-year-old videos are disfavored by the algorithm. That's why I will always do this. I will always be an activist. I'll always talk about religion and cults and atheism like this because there's somebody out there who needs it right now. And since The Amazing Atheist and Armored Skeptic and whoever else aren't really talking about religion anymore, since those people feel like the arguments have all been made already and they're done, YouTube isn't going to recommend that stuff to them. And on top of that, that stuff's outdated. You know, it's 10 years old. The camera quality was piss poor back then for those people in a lot of cases. Talking about this stuff now and reviving the discussion and the arguments and everything is keeping it alive. It's helping people work through this stuff and realize that there are others out there. It's not just 10-year-old people who haven't made these arguments in so long that nobody even watches that stuff anymore. 
I believe that the more people that are out there talking about this stuff publicly, like on YouTube and things like that, the better. It is preferable to have more people out there talking about this stuff. So my advice to you is do it. Just do it. Like, uh, what's his name said? What was his name? Shia LaBeouf. As Shia LaBeouf said, just do it. Seriously, that is probably the best advice anybody could ever give you. Just do it. Cosmic Skeptic started out with his cell phone camera and his microphone. That's it. He'd sit it down and sit in front of it and just talk. You don't need big, fancy, expensive equipment to start out. Just sit down in front of a camera and start. That's it. That's all you got to do. On a more technical level, I have found that for my own channel, there have been artistic breakthroughs. I set one rule for myself with my channel. Never stop, no matter what. No matter how good the views look, no matter how bad the views look, no matter what kind of controversy comes or anything, never stop. No matter how burned out or bored I am, do it. Keep doing it. And that has led to periodic artistic breakthroughs. So when I started out, I wasn't drawing, for example, on my channel. I wasn't making drawings. I was just talking. No camera, no nothing. I was just posting pictures on there while I talked. Or I was playing a video on silent mode while I talked. Like the video I was debunking, I would turn the audio off and just play it in the background. That's what I started out doing. I had a major artistic breakthrough when I started drawing. It was on a black background. I had another major artistic breakthrough on my channel when I added music to it, when I added the blueprint background, and then another artistic breakthrough when I added the canvas blackboard background. As time went on, as I worked on the channel, I, I vowed to never stop no matter what, and that led to me coming up with ideas every now and then to improve the experience. Even if your videos were poor quality, even if your rhetoric and your presentation sucked, that stuff comes with time. That improves over time. And you don't need big expensive software or hardware to make a good presentation. Those artistic breakthroughs will come with time as long as you Never stop. So my advice to you is never stop and keep trying to come up with cool artistic breakthroughs. Hi, I'm calling from Germany. Thanks to you, I realized that I'm living in a religious fundamentalist cult. So I called the cult hotline I found on the internet for my country. Turns out it was a pastor or priest. And he said that the true danger is atheism, not religious fundamentalism, because they believe that there is no God. And I said, hang on a second, that's not what I heard from atheists. They only claim that, or certain atheists only claim that certain types of gods are impossible, such as all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-benevolent at the same time. And then he got really angry and said, how dare you say such a thing? Um, you stupid human, you are mere mortal. Um, God, of course, God defies human logic. How can you think that uh, human logic could describe God? And 
I, I feel really frightened and really small and really stupid. And because I don't know how to refute his argument, maybe you can help me, please. Thank you. Thanks for the voicemail. I appreciate that. You don't need to feel small or stupid. That's what they wanted. Don't let them win on that front. Don't let them claim victory by making you feel small or stupid. And you're not stupid for saying that. That's not a stupid thing to say. It's absurd to believe that a god can, be, can have contradictory qualities about him. It's absurd to believe that everything in the Bible is true and inerrant. It contradicts itself. It's literally impossible. The problem with this, though, is that religious people can always back into that. When they're backed into a corner, they can always just say, well, you're just not smart enough to understand. God defies logic. So as an atheist, the approach that I take, knowing that they're going to back into that unfalsifiable claim, my approach is to just say, I haven't seen any evidence for God. Obviously, as an atheist, I can sit here and say, the Christian God as presented in the Bible is bullshit. Complete bullshit. Like, contradictory qualities, defies logic, and all that stuff. It's ridiculous. Why is it that Christians don't believe in Islam? That's the same reason why I don't believe in Christianity. It's the exact same reason they would give for not believing in Islam. So, personally, from a, from a rhetoric or a debate type of standpoint, the Christian is making a claim. Their claim is, God is real. They have to prove that claim. Give me evidence. There is none. There is no evidence for it. And they know that there's no evidence for it. So what's going to happen more than likely is their mind is just going to go around in circles until they find, you know, some kind of an explanation. Uh, when you debunk that explanation, they're going to go to the last one that they provided you. It's just a big circular pattern because it's contradictory and their minds can't really accept the things that they believe without cognitive dissonance setting in so no need to feel small or stupid or any of that that was abusive what what you described to me don't let that get to you because that's what they want hey hey Owen my name's William I live in Michigan and I was wondering I'm an ex-Mormon why do the ex-Mormon or why did the Mormons tend to guilt you into coming back they're saying things like I'm going to be, go to prison or I'm going to go to jail. And I was just wondering what your thought on that was. And thank you and have a good day. Let me, I'll be watching for you. Bye. That's actually a pretty common tactic. Um, it's a fear-mongering type of tactic. Now, I've said this before. I'm sure a lot of us know about logical fallacies. I'm sure we all know what logical fallacies are and why they're important and all of that stuff. But let me just define logical fallacy for you guys because um, some people just don't know. They don't really understand what this stuff is. So I just want to make sure it's on record so everybody understands. In philosophy, a formal fallacy deductive fallacy, logical fallacy, or non sequitur is a pattern of reasoning rendered invalid by a flaw in its logical structure that can neatly be expressed in a standard logic system. For example, propositional logic. It's defined as a deductive argument that is invalid. 
So basically, logical fallacies are errors in logic. What you're saying here, the conclusion that you've come to, that conclusion may be correct. It's possible. But your method of arriving at that conclusion is flawed. So you have to throw that argument out completely or modify it to get to that conclusion again by some other means. Likewise, there is something called propaganda, and I've been talking about propaganda a lot lately. Propaganda and logical fallacies are closely linked to each other. There's pretty much a logical fallacy for every propaganda technique. You've got like the appeal to emotion logical fallacy and its counterpart, the appeal to emotion propaganda technique. Reframing propaganda, fire hosing, the big lie, those are propaganda techniques and logical fallacies go hand in hand with propaganda techniques. So to answer your question, why do Mormons um, try to scare you and tell you you're gonna go to jail or you're going to have a terrible life when you leave or whatever else. It's a propaganda technique based on logical fallacies intended to force you back into the fold, force you to come back to the religion and be a part of it again for bad reasons. There may be good reasons to be a Mormon. They may be correct. That's a possibility, I suppose. But the reasoning they're using to try to get you to come back is flawed and should not be taken into consideration when deciding that. Cults are famous, renowned, infamous for using propaganda and logical fallacies to try to force their members to remain in or to force ex-members to come back. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do that too. And when that fails, they'll take your family and your friends away. People will view you as bad association and tell their members not to talk to you. That's another way to lock people into the religion. Any method they can use to keep you stuck in and keep you donating and increase their power base by adding to their membership, they'll do it. Hey, Anthony, this is uh, Mikey Ramon. Just wondering, what is your opinion on street epistemology and taking that approach to communicate with people who have beliefs? I appreciate that voicemail. Um, I'm Owen. You're ta you were addressing Anthony Magnabosco. That's funny. Um, I actually got a voicemail from this person again, and they were like, I'm sorry, did I call you Anthony? I've been watching Anthony Magnabosco. I meant Owen. It was really funny. <laughs> no big deal. Anthony Magnabosco is the shit. He's a really nice dude. Really nice dude. I've worked with him multiple times in the past. He has kind of pioneered this, what would you call it? This method of discourse, I guess, called street epistemology. And it is kind of what I've used as a deprogramming technique to deprogram people from cults. I use kind of a mix of things, though. The street epistemology method is very sound. It was actually, funny enough, it was created by Peter Boghossian to deprogram leftists, like deprogram SJWs, as funny as that is. The point is, it's really, really useful for deprogramming cult members. 
from cults. My mixed method is basically talking to people, getting a feel for the logical fallacies that they're using, and the propaganda techniques that they've been victim to, and framing those examples in a different way, and asking them the right answer. So take the red herring fallacy, for example. The red herring fallacy is a logical fallacy where someone presents an irrelevant piece of information in an attempt to distract their opponent and the audience from the topic that's being discussed or to shift the discussion in a new direction. So what I'll do when I'm trying to deprogram somebody is I will completely frame the red herring fallacy. I need to identify which fallacies they're being victim to, and I will frame that fallacy in a completely different scenario. Of course, the trick to this entire thing is to make sure that they keep their guard down. You don't want them to be on the defensive and feel like they're being attacked. That is the cornerstone to this technique. If the person feels like they're being attacked in the conversation, they're going to shut down and the conversation's over. Everything that happens from that point is a waste of your time. So you, you want to keep their guard down. Once I identify which logical fallacy they've fallen victim to, I'll frame it in a completely different scenario. I'll say, imagine, you know, Hillary Clinton, for example, if they're like Trump supporters. Let's say, imagine Hillary Clinton uh, was in a debate and she started bringing up some other subject that had nothing to do with it. And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, now, what went wrong there? And I'll try to get them to process it and see why that is a fallacy and why it's wrong and why they shouldn't do it. And then I'll say, do you think that maybe it's analogous to what we're dealing with here? That's the direction that I take with it. So I've added to the method a little bit and modified it to my own ends, and it seems to work okay. But deprogramming somebody through street epistemology is very difficult, as I'm sure you know. It's a very complicated method. It's easy to explain, very hard to implement, but it's definitely worth learning at the very least. Anybody listening to this, if you haven't watched Anthony Magnabosco or Cordial Curiosity on YouTube, you, you guys should go check them out because what they talk about is extremely valuable, especially when you're dealing with cults. The Gaytheist. I'm working on CBT to deprogram myself. It's proving to be very effective. Interesting. It's interesting you bring that up, actually. CBT, for those who may not know, is cognitive behavioral therapy. There are a lot of different types of cognitive behavioral therapy, and there are also other types of therapies, like dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, that one is used for people with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, things like that, or uh, PTSD, I believe. DBT is used for that, too. All of these things, CBT, DBT... NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, Street Epistemology. I feel like compliance techniques aren't really the right word for them. I'm not sure what the word is. There is a word. I just can't think of the exact word at the moment. It'll come to me later, but they're basically ways of changing your behavior um, to... All right, let me think about how to phrase this. Um, it's a well-known fact in psychology that what you're doing physically or your behavior reflects inside. Like I said before, if you put a pencil in your mouth, kind of forcing yourself to smile, 
it makes you enjoy the task you're doing more, even if it's an absolutely grotesque task like cleaning up dog shit. What you're doing on the outside is reflected inside. That is why cults control people's behavior. That's the same idea behind cognitive behavioral therapy, what a therapist will probably use to, to treat you for certain conditions. What happens outside reflects inside. So anyway, thank you for bringing up the CBT point. That's a really good point. It is effectively programming you, which isn't always a bad thing. I've talked about the influence continuum before, constructive influence versus destructive influence. CBT is a, an influence technique. You know what? That's the right word for those. Cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, neurolinguistic programming, street epistemology, they're influence techniques. That's what it is. Some of them are constructive. Some of them are destructive. NLP is destructive. Cognitive behavioral therapy, which is used by most therapists, is constructive. It's constructive influence. Cults influence people destructively. That's, that's the main issue I have with cults. Um, I don't feel like they should be influencing people at all. I'm going to take a look at super chats and ats and stuff. Let me see if I can pull it up here. The Gaytheist. Remember to hail Satan tomorrow to protect yourself from the Holy Spirit. I actually asked him to elaborate on that a little bit. Christians think worshiping Jesus protects them from Satan. I reversed it so worshiping Satan protects you from God. That's a good point. I'm down. I am so ready to hail Satan tomorrow. I predict there won't be many people today. Opened up an umbrella indoors earlier today for science. No bad luck so far. <laughs> That's funny. Zolfner. The polls don't matter. The right always shows up, but half of them don't know how to use the internet, and the left doesn't show up. If there are close polls, the right usually wins as we vote. That's a good point, actually. That's a really good point. The right always shows up. And part of the reason for that is because churches, like big mega churches and extremist churches, have programmed in voting as part of the member's identity. It's like, you have to vote. You are a voter. It's part of your worship, basically. That's how it's framed in America. Um, if you don't vote, then you risk going to hell. In fact, Kenneth Copeland even said, if you don't vote for Trump, you're guilty of murder. He said that the other day. That's part of the reason why the right goes out and votes. But that being said, the polls are very accurate. They were accurate in 2016 to a very fine degree. The problem in 2016 wasn't the polls, it was the commentators. The commentators were all saying, oh, Hillary Clinton's got this in the bag. Hillary Clinton's going to win. She's going to get it. In reality, um, the polls were not reflecting that optimism at the time. 538, the website 538, they usually do poll aggregates and analysis and stuff like that. They had Hillary Clinton as having like a 70% chance of winning or something, which means in out of 100 election simulations, Hillary Clinton won like 70 or something. I don't remember the exact number, like 70 of those simulated elections and Donald Trump won 30 of them. We just happened to hit one of the election simulations where Donald Trump won. Um, 
Hillary Clinton really did not have as good of a chance as the commentators were saying, and the polls reflected that. Zolfner, it has nothing to do with religion. That's just one part. We just stick together. I even got called out for how I often speak out against the right. Interesting. I think that it has more to do with religion than you think. I think the Republican Party is largely made up of the evangelical voting bloc. Like, I think it's mostly made up of of a few voting blocks, the military being one of them, the evangelical vote, and Republicans always pander, basically, to or cater to, it's probably a better word, not pander, the Republicans always cater to those demographics, to those voting blocks. They have to, to win. They have to get their votes. So they'll always come out and saying some Christian shit or some really pro-war stuff because the military loves war. It's really fascinating, though, that to see the tactics that different Republican and Democrat politicians employ and watch their poll numbers go up or down after employing those tactics. It's very, very interesting. Gives you a good idea of where the country really sits with a lot of issues. But this election, coronavirus is front and center. Coronavirus is one of the top issues on voters' minds for this election. So I don't know. We'll see how it turns out. I have a feeling Biden is going to win. But I think he has a better chance than Clinton does. But there's no way to know. No way to know until it all plays out. We'll see. Tyler Cross, I am a Marine and a leftist. I know a lot of my fellow service members are conservative, but many are not. Yeah, well, the thing about the military is the military breaks you down and builds you back up in their image. That's kind of part of the process. For better or worse, that's what the military does. That's what boot camp does. They're trying to break you down and build you back up. And the model that they build you back up after is one that is very pro-war and and conservative, generally speaking. Now, some people retain their left-wing viewpoints afterward. Some people were conservative before and become left-wing after. I mean, it varies, obviously, but in many cases, the military builds the service members up in a conservative vision. Um, The military being a cult is, or being cult-like at least, is a subject that I have touched on a little bit in the past, but not gone into great depth on. It's a very interesting subject to talk about, though. Zolfner, the Democrats pandered to the Christians during the DNC. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Democrats pandered to all of the same people that the right panders to during the DNC because they're trying to get the right-wing vote that doesn't like Donald Trump right now. Not a big fan of that, personally, honestly. Do not like it. But I personally think that Biden would be a better president than Donald Trump is, if for no other reason than because Biden won't send the military in to U.S. cities to maintain control, which Trump did or attempted to do. He actually sent him into D.C. Zolfner, on vacation traveling, feel free to say something I can't defend against. Thank you for the super chat, Zolfner. I really appreciate that. I know you're a really big Biden supporter. I know you absolutely love the Democrats, and you think that if somebody isn't running as a Democrat, then they shouldn't get the party election. Like Bernie Sanders, 
you didn't you didn't want to vote for Bernie Sanders. You wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton. I know because Bernie Sanders wasn't a lifelong Democrat, but Clinton was. And I know you're a lifelong Democrat inside, so that makes sense to me. Um, I figured since you wanted me to say something you can't defend against, I'd say it. <laughs> Thank you for the super chat. So I appreciate that. Tyler Cross, we literally joked about the core being a cult when I was in. I completely agree. I was infantry when I was in. I became an atheist in boot camp. Interesting transition. Uh, I, I would have to imagine, I don't have data on this, but I would think that people become more religious when they become, like when they join the military or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? There's no way of knowing unless we had like the studies on us. It's just speculation. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's take a short break. When we come back... We're going to talk about Liberty University doing a full investigation into Jerry Falwell and his dealings while he was president. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the first article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, Here's What Liberty U Must Do If They Want Their Investigation Taken Seriously. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website, so let's give it a read and see what it says. After thoroughly embarrassing the school he ran like a dictator since 2007, Jerry Falwell Jr. is now the former president of Liberty University and a punchline for years to come given his sexual hypocrisy. Yesterday, the school's executive committee announced that they would undertake a thorough investigation into all things Falwell, minus the pool boy stuff, which is his personal business. That's funny. So on this article, Hemant Mehta pulls a quote from Liberty U's announcement. I wanted to just get, you know glance at the announcement and see what it had to say. This is the actual website. This is their announcement at Liberty U. Uh, at liberty.edu, Liberty U's website. It says, Liberty University's executive committee, acting on behalf of its board of trustees, issued the following statement today. This past week challenged all of us to the core. While we had been willing to extend grace and understanding to Jerry Falwell Jr. before, once the revelations about his past personal life came more fully to light, we acted swiftly and decisively to ask for his immediate resignation, which we received. Some may say that all the signs were there for a long time before last week. It's certainly, it's certainly fair to say that there were questionable comments made, worrying behavior, and inappropriate social media posts. But all the signs were not there until the start of last week. I simply disagree. The guy, there was plenty to show that the guy was a monster before all of this. We knew, all, we knew a lot of this stuff before it came out last week. But, you know, whatever. Whatever. They seem to be doing the right thing at this immediate moment. Even though Liberty U as a school is monstrous and ruins people's lives, at least they're kicking the guy out now. It, it, it isn't going to improve the school as a whole because it, it is a monstrous school. But it's a step in the right direction, so I'll take it. Let's continue reading. While we still didn't know the full scope of the matter, we have learned enough about the past to know that we had no choice but to take the leadership of Liberty U in a, in a new direction. 
We are also committed to learning the consequences that have flowed from a lack of spiritual stewardship by our former president. A lack of spiritual stewardship, huh? Is that the problem? He, he didn't love God enough? That's kind of hilarious and sad at the same time. One of the leading forensic firms in the world has been retained by Liberty U's Board of Trustees to conduct a thorough investigation into all facets of Liberty University operations during Jerry Falwell Jr.'s tenure as president, including but not limited to financial, real estate, and legal matters, which, um, as I mentioned before, is a serious problem. Jerry Falwell Jr. got into some really shady situations that he set up specifically to make money from. According to Reuters, I said this a minute ago, but let me read it again. According to Reuters, quote, he put his two sons and their wives as well, I'm sorry, and their wives as well on the university's payroll. He arranged the transfer of a multi-acre Liberty facility to his personal trainer. He enlisted a friend's construction company to manage an ambitious campus expansion costing hundreds of millions of dollars. And before becoming school president, Falwell set up two companies that enabled him to cut property deals with one of the many nonprofit entities affiliated with the university. In each of the deals, Falwell played multiple roles with potentially conflicting in interests. He was an officer of the university, a board member for the nonprofit selling the land, and a private developer who could profit from the transactions. That's just wrong. I mean, just all this whole thing is crooked. It smells like corruption. It looks like corruption. That's what it is. He was making money off of every transaction taking place. It's like when Donald Trump goes golfing. He decides to golf at one of his own golf courses and have all of the Secret Service members stay in his hotels so that the money that the government is paying to protect Donald Trump on these trips goes straight back into Donald Trump's pockets. It's wrong. It's, it's corruption. It shouldn't happen that way. Anyway, let's continue reading. Throughout these past few weeks, we knew we were being lifted in prayer by the entire Liberty University community. For this, we're especially grateful as we know it was by the Lord's grace that we were able to put aside emotion and make the decisions that were necessary and essential for bringing calm to the storm. We thank all those who extended prayerful support. Do I really need to say it? Prayer doesn't do anything for anybody. Prayer is not helpful or productive. Stop trying to use it to solve your problems. This is a quote, Matthew 8.26b. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Okay. Of course, moving forward, we, we are very mindful that we must seek leaders who demonstrate a full commitment to the spiritual mission of Liberty University by words, actions, and example. That is why, in addition to starting a search for a new president, we are also reviewing options to establish a new role in the top leadership of the university for someone who will serve as a spiritual coach, mentor, and guide to help ensure that every member of the university leadership fulfills his or her spiritual responsibility to live out the Christian walk expected of each and every one of us at Liberty. Okay, well, having basically an overseer that makes sure that corruption doesn't slip in, I'm, I'm all for it. 
even though I don't really see what the whole Christian aspect has to do with it. I guess it's a Christian university, so whatever. Lastly, we're charging Jerry Prevo to use the full range of his presidential authority to implement any changes necessary to improve ongoing operations of the university and to enrich the spiritual mission of Liberty U, not only for its students, but also for every executive, administrator, faculty member, and the entire staff, and for a prospective new president as well. We ask for continued prayers. So that's going to be helpful. Glad they asked for continued prayers because that's going to fix the whole fucking problem, right? We ask for continued prayers as we all manage this transition and for a continued commitment by us all to fulfill our spiritual mission here at Liberty University today and always. So that's the public statement they made. I'm glad that they're trying to root out corruption to the best of their ability, but they're still ruining people's lives, you know, students' lives and the people around them. It's just, it, it's a very toxic environment. It's, it's extremely right-wing and uh, extremely religious, and it just shouldn't exist, in my opinion. I mean, I, I'm not in favor of legislation to force, you, you know, the university not to exist. I think they have the right to exist, certainly, but it's nothing but harmful and destructive I, it's just it's just bad. Anyway, let's continue reading what Hemant Mehta had to say about the announcement. That's a start, but anyone who's watched churches investigate themselves can tell you all the pitfalls that comes with it. How can anyone trust Liberty when Falwell's every move for years now has shown how little trust both he and the board deserve? At the moment, we don't know how independent this, is, this investigation really is. We don't know how much access investigators will have to Falwell's email accounts and anything he may have deleted while working for Liberty. We don't know how the results of the investigation will, will be released or whether Liberty's board will get to censor any part of it. We don't know if they will pledge to implement any recommendations made by investigators. That's true. I agree 100%. We don't know what what's going to come of this. But I do want to point out one thing. Liberty University, there was serious outcry from the staff and like from the faculty and stuff about how disgusting and corrupt Jerry Falwell has been acting. He is not popular right now at Liberty U. Um, I don't think anyone's going to have a problem with uncovering misdeeds that Jerry Falwell did while he was at Liberty U. I, I could be wrong, and I would love an in independent investigation. I would love that. But since we don't get it, we got to do the best with what we have. And I'm happy that they're doing the investigation anyways. Back to Hemant Mehta. I don't say this often, but they should really take a cue from the owners of Hobby Lobby, who recently hired an investigator to examine possible forgeries at the Museum of the Bible, which they own. I didn't know Hobby Lobby owned the Museum of the Bible. Interesting. I agree. That was actually, I remember that case. I talked about it on the podcast. You guys can go to the YouTube channel and find the clip if you're interested. Um... There were some forgeries that were fabricated, I think, in the 1950s or 60s or something, or maybe in the early 2000s. They were forgeries of Dead Sea Scrolls, and they hired independent investigators to come in and determine if these really were forgeries or not in this museum. And they found that they were. They were forgeries. I read the whole article. It was very interesting. It was very interesting how they determined that 
the Dead Sea Scroll copies that they had were forgeries. It had something to do with the adhesive that they used and the fact that it wasn't used at the time when they were supposed to have been made and things like that. Very interesting stuff. Let's continue reading. In that case, the Green family hired an independent investigator with expertise in fraud who insisted on certain conditions. Museum officials wouldn't be allowed to offer any input into their work. Her report would be the final word on the matter, and the information would be made public either way so that the museum couldn't bury the truth. Liberty hasn't said they would agree to those same conditions, at least not publicly. They should if part of their goal is to regain trust. Baz Tavigian, who worked at Liberty and now represents victims of sexual abuse, has a more thorough list of how the school could do a proper investigation at Religion News Service. Fascinating. I would love to see a full investigation. Unfortunately, I don't think that we're going to get much past what we what they've already promised. But what we're getting now, I'm still happy with. I'm still glad to see that Jerry Falwell Jr. is being investigated. And like I said, he's not a popular guy right now, especially not at Liberty U. The fascinating thing about it is it wasn't the racist tweets that he sent. It wasn't any of that stuff. It wasn't the terrible stuff that he did, forcing the school to open in person, spreading propaganda, backing Donald Trump, things like that. It wasn't any of that stuff that got him kicked out. It was his personal life. He wasn't living up to the standards of Liberty U, I guess. That's what got him kicked out. That says something about Liberty University. They don't give a shit how racist you act. They don't care. That's fine with them. They care about whether or not you are maintaining a monogamous relationship. Let's take a look at Super Chats. Zolfner. Yeah, I preemptively said that due to my dinner reservation coming up. I didn't sign off yet. Owen will pay. I promise. Later. <laughs> uh, well, you said I, you wanted me to say something that you can't defend against. There you go. I said it. You love Biden and everybody knows you do. The doctor says... Happy Saturday. Nice try. It's Saturday for you. What are you talking about? You said happy Sunday. That's something for Australians to say. You're you're not in Australia. Impeachment charges require simple majority in House. Conviction is super majority of Senate. My mistake. You're right. I'll add that correction to the YouTube video. Uh, let's see. Night wings of an angel. Also, the Green family, the people who own Hobby Lobby, are homophobic as hell. The Gaytheist. You are awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. That's all. I think you're awesome, too. No, you are. Life in the doghouse. Tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to go meet a shelter dog I'm hoping to adopt. Wish me luck. I'll post pictures over on the Discord if I get him. Good luck. That sounds interesting. I hope you do. The Gaytheist, you are awesome. Thank you, The Gaytheist. Night wings of an angel. We love you. Thank you. Uh, the new glasses look awesome on you. I appreciate that. I like them too. I'm actually a pretty big fan of the, of the glasses. This is the first time in my life, basically, that I've had glasses that weren't either free frames because I, you know, I, I've been so fucking broke my whole life or like $30 frames. Um, when I was little, we had to go to the Lions Club to get them to buy me glasses because we just didn't have any fucking money. So for the very first time in my life, I've got glasses that weren't dirt fucking cheap. They're just Ray-Bans. They're like a hundred bucks for the frame or something. Wally Doctor One Who. This is my first time actually catching this podcast. Well, awesome. Welcome. Hope you like it. Glad you're here. Key Gaming. You helped me escape my cult. I can't thank you enough. I'm glad I could 
help in any small way. But ultimately, it was you who had to take the first step and watch the videos. You are the one who managed to pull yourself out. And I personally know from personal experience that that is not easy to do. So I'm glad you found your way out. And I'm glad that you got some benefit from my videos. Thanks for watching. Life in the doghouse. I hate glasses so much I switched to contacts. I have contacts also, um, but I, I'm actually a pretty big fan of these glasses. I think I really like them. Night Wings of an Angel. Your work here on YouTube is so important. It's been essential. I'm currently working on binging all your content. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Thank, thank you for watching. I appreciate that. Glad you like what I put out. It's pretty cool. When we come back, we're going to talk about Glenn Beck apologizing to Donald Trump for being mean in 2016 and explaining why he loves him so much. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I'm going to take a look at is entitled Glenn Beck Explains What Made Him Change His Mind About Trump. This is on Right Wing Watch, and it's by Kyle Mantilla. Glenn Beck spent the entire 2016 election cycle warning that Donald Trump was crazy, a dangerous psychopath, and the biggest flaming ass that you could possibly imagine. Interesting verbiage there. When other conservatives endorsed Trump, Beck was furious and wondered how they could even sleep at night. Throughout the campaign, Beck steadfastly refused to support Trump, insisting that Jesus Christ himself would tell Beck not to support him because doing so would be disloyal to God. That's interesting. Glenn Beck is actually a Mormon. I'm sure a lot of you guys probably knew that. He's on Blaze TV, I think. In fact, that may even be Glenn Beck's network. Like, he may own that, Blaze TV. It's like a podcast network and possibly a TV network or like a TV segment on Fox or something like that. But he's an extreme Mormon and very, very religious and very far right wing. He espouses far right extreme conspiracy theories a lot. Let's continue reading. Despite the fact that Trump's first term in office has proven that just about every one of Beck's warnings were accurate, Beck announced last year that he now supports Trump and intends to vote for him in November. So did God lie to him? Did he did did Beck lie about hearing God's voice tell him not to support Trump? There's a disconnect here. What happened? During Trump's speech during the Republican National Convention last Thursday night, Beck expressed his regrets for the things he said about Trump during the 2016 campaign and followed that up on his radio program Friday by explaining what caused him to change his mind. Let's give the video a watch and see what he said about it. I felt yeah. so bad about what I said, how I said things in 2016, um, and I've been feeling this way for a couple of days during this convention. Uh, and I just feel like I, I need to apologize to his children um, because I can't imagine. I mean, I just had Donald Trump Jr. on with us, and I can't imagine he acted like we were old friends. I can't imagine they didn't have several conversations about me at the dinner table. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think he's that important. I don't think many people really give a shit about his opinion. Um, and also, being a public figure comes with being attacked 
that's just part of that's par for the course that's what happens that's how it works even if there isn't anything to attack you over which in this case there definitely is donald trump is a complete piece of trash but even if there wasn't they'll come at you over something they'll fabricate things sometimes just the the this massive mob of people of hundreds of thousands millions of people all have their own ideas and opinions and thoughts about you and who you are and what you stand for and what you believe and everything else it's impossible to avoid this stuff so generally speaking i would say this is a lesson i learned pretty early on in my youtube career people will come at you about just about anything donald trump and his kids probably know that that's true now the outrage is justified in that case with donald trump and his kids but they've probably become very adept at tuning out the criticisms at this point on some of the things that I said. Uh, and I really regret it because I, I mm. do think publicly Twitter and everything else, I think the guy is out of control and doesn't care, doesn't care, enjoys it. But mm. I think privately he's a different guy because his children love him. And I don't believe like, for example, Ivanka is a psychopath. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I agree. Donald Trump does seem to enjoy chaos. Like, he revels in chaos, weirdly. He, he, he tries to create chaos anywhere he can, and then he blames that chaos on, like, his enemy, his sworn enemy, which in this case happens to be Democrats. But his enemy changes from time to time. He will name specific people. Biden is his enemy, for example. Anything Donald Trump can do to cause chaos and blame it on his enemy, he'll do. It's black and white, us versus them, good versus evil thinking. And his cult members are following that and picking up on it and learning that mindset, which is really disturbing and, and, and depressing. No matter what, about 60 to 65 million people in the United States of America are probably going to vote for Trump. It's going to be close, but it will be in that range somewhere. I'd say between 40 and 80 million people. That's scary that there are people out there who are adopting this mindset that Donald Trump is perpetuating and, and wants people to have. It's disturbing to know that there are at least minimum like 40 million people out there who look at the behavior of this guy and say, yeah, I like that. I'm okay with it at the very least. I'll vote for it again. I think he deserves another run. That's disturbing. Now, I don't know what happens behind closed doors. I don't know if the guy inside really is a good guy, genuinely. I don't know what he thinks to himself when the lights are off at night. I don't know. But what I see from him, what he's displaying for the world, what he's setting an example as, is fucking horrific. And how is it Ivanka loves him and all of his children love him as much as they do if he's a psychopath in real life he's not the word psychopath is is kind of loaded 
first of all, I said this before, it's possible that his kids are putting on a show. It's possible that they just want their dad to be reelected because they know if he loses the election, they're all going to go to jail. I mean, that's a possibility. It's a possibility. Uh, so it's possible that they want their voting block, the evangelical Christians, to think that they are a fully functional, healthy family that love each other. And they think that that's their route to the White House, their next route to the White House. And it's possible that behind closed doors, Trump really is a psychopath. Um, I don't know. I'm not a therapist. Uh, I'm not even really a psychologist. I mean, I, I, I went to school for a psychology degree, but I'm actually technically a college dropout. I dropped out after a couple of years, so... I can't speak to this. I don't know what's inside the guy's head, but I can tell you what psychopathy is. Psychopathy and sociopathy are closely linked, but different. The idea behind psychopathy is the fact that people who have psychopathy lack an ability to feel empathy for other people. They are incapable of putting themselves in other people's shoes. Somewhere in our evolutionary chain, humans were hunter-gatherers, right? So the hunters would go out, and they would find a great big animal, and they would try to capture it. But they were alone. There's just one of them trying to capture this big animal, right? At some point in time, at some point in our evolutionary history, we gained the ability to build models in our heads of scenarios. We gained vision, basically. So we could talk to our friend and we, we could tell them, hey, if you go over there and I go over there, and then this guy over here spooks the animal, it will either run into me or it will run into you, one of the two. So if we stand in one of these two places, we can corner the animal and capture it and keep it. That was a major evolutionary breakthrough. The ability to build models in our heads. The ability to see things in our minds before it happened, basically. And that is the basis for empathy. That's where it came from. The ability to build models in our heads like that. And empathy is the basis for modern morality. We can picture ourselves in somebody else's shoes. We can picture ourselves experiencing the things that they are experiencing or the things that they may experience. That's the basis for, for morality, is empathy. If we don't have empathy for people, then we are fully capable of acting in disgusting, immoral ways toward them. The fact that the, the Republican Party has mostly been opposed to uh, improving inner-city conditions, or it at least hasn't been on their radar, or the fact that it's made up of a lot of really racist people is a sign that the Republican voting bloc isn't really taking empathy into consideration. They're not building those models in their heads to try to put themselves 
in other people's shoes. To bring it back to the Glenn Beck thing, that is a, that's the problem with people who have psychopathy. They are incapable of feeling empathy. They can stick a knife in somebody's chest and not understand why that's wrong. Like somebody can explain it to them, but if I did that, I would cringe. I would be like, oh, that's awful. I can't do this. I can't deal with it. It's terrible. Imagine me being in that situation. People who have psychopathy or sociopathy are incapable of doing that. They're incapable of putting themselves in that position. And you can see the progression. You can see signs and patterns from people who actually have psychopathy and sociopathy. It starts off with small things, maybe pulling the legs off of a spider. And then they go to harming small animals and things like that as time progresses, as they get older. Psychopathy is a serious mental condition and should not be downplayed or underestimated. A very small portion of the U.S. population actually has psychopathy. I think it's around 4%. I could be wrong. But not applying empathy and not being capable of feeling empathy are two different things. The entire evangelical voting bloc isn't incapable of feeling empathy. Like, they can feel empathy. They just don't apply it in a lot of cases in which they should. So is Donald Trump a psychopath? I don't know. Uh, it's possible he is. That's possible. I've seen signs of that um, based on the fact that he almost never displays a shred of empathy for anybody. But a true psychopath is fully incapable of feeling empathy. So seeing signs that Trump feels empathy for people and it being genuine, that would be a sign that he's not actually a psychopath. Like I've said before, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I'm not Donald Trump's psychologist. I have no way of knowing if he has psychopathy or not. But th those are my two cents on it. Either way, there's a problem with him not showing empathy to certain people. And that's bad enough. He may as well be a psychopath for all intents and purposes. Whether he is or not, what he's doing is harmful. And in effect, is displaying signs that he is a psychopath. So that's really what matters ultimately. Tyler Cross, do you know anything about humanism and maybe joining a secular humanist group? Take some of this money the government pays me. You deserve it. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do know a little bit about humanism. I wish that there were more secular humanist groups around me. Unfortunately, there aren't. I live in this little itty-bitty tiny town in the middle of nowhere in a little tiny state that has a population density smaller than Nebraska, if that tells you anything. There aren't any groups around me really unfortunately i wish there were but but i'm hoping that i'm going to be able to move to new york city at some point in the near future i don't know that's my plan at this moment in the next like nine months or so i'm hoping to move to new york city so time will tell if i am able to move to new york city then i will most likely join some secular humanist groups that would be awesome i love being parts of groups and stuff although obviously being a part of a 
group right now isn't a fantastic thing for obvious reasons. The gayest atheist. Is that the gaytheist under a new name or is that legit the gayest atheist? I think you guys got to have a fight to the death over who is the gayest atheist. The gay, the gayest atheist. I saw your video confronting Jehovah's Witnesses. After going back to the church I went to as a child, I almost understand the shame not to compare trauma, but I really appreciate everything you do. Yeah, it was not fun doing all of that shit. It was not fun, but it did benefit somebody out there, I, I'm sure. I mean, I think 150,000, 200,000, 300,000 people saw that video or somewhere in there. One of those people almost certainly benefited from what I experienced in that, so it was worth it for that, if nothing else. Thank you for that, that message. I appreciate that. Life in the doghouse. No, move to Chicago instead. Chicago is a cool city. It is a cool city, and it's as almost as dense as New York City, I think. It's a massive city. I had no idea Chicago was as big and dense as it is. I'm really interested in being in a dense city. But we have reasons to be in New York City specifically, so that's what we're looking at right now. Me, my girlfriend, Rose, and my daughter. So that's, that is our plan at this moment. Shooting for June or July, moving to New York City. Time will tell. The Gaytheist. What are your thoughts on Unitarian Universalism? I know very little about it. Um, I, I've talked to some people about it before, and from my understanding, it's basically like an atheist community, pretty much, like a church that doesn't cram God down your throats, for uh, lack of a better term. And that's good. I, I'm all for it. If we can build a community like church builds a community and it doesn't turn into a destructive cult with undue influence or anything like that, I am all for it, 100%. Leaving community behind is one of the most difficult things that an atheist can do. I had uh, a lot of people I really cared about in the Jehovah's Witness religion, and they're fucking gone now, and I'll never talk to them again. Uh, that hurts. That's, that's very sad, and I'm not the only one dealing with that. There are tens of thousands, millions of people maybe, millions of people who are dealing with this exact pain that I deal with every day. So if Unitarian Universalism can mend that in some way, I'm all for it. Okay, that's where I'm going to end it for now. Appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.